This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen. Welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and today we're going to be talking with John Moody. This is going to serve as part two on our episode, How to Boost Testosterone. Of course, we had part one, which aired last week depending on when you're listening to this. Um, so if you haven't yet, check out part one as well. These episodes do go together and we're looking at men's health and hormone health and uh, really has been an important issue, I think, because A, it hasn't been addressed, uh, especially in Christian circles. Um, so a lot of the voices who are addressing it, there's you know evolutionary psychologists and people like that. So we take some of the things that they say as useful and helpful, but it would be helpful I've thought, and many other men in our camp, to say, what what would a Christian perspective on these things be? Um, so we're going to take that up with John Moody. And then I also think the other part is that um, just the reality, my friend Pastor Dan has said, there's a very real problem facing men and facing women as well, uh, de- de- depending on how you look at um, hormone health in the country. And so we have a responsibility to see uh, that we can't find some solutions at least start opening up this discussion. And again, I think a lot of people are saying, hey, I, I've experienced ill health or hormone problems. And so we want to we want to solve that. So again, we're going to try and do that in this episode. We will also have links in the show notes to some of the articles that John references here, including articles from Chris Master John, which is uh, Chris is a friend of John's and um, so hopefully have some good fodder if you want to continue your research. Definitely encourage you to do that following this episode. At this point, we're going to jump right in to the conversation that I'm having with John. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this conversation on how men can boost testosterone. Welcome to part two of the testosterone boosting podcast with Mr. John Moody. John, I think my tea got higher from our last conversation. I hope yours did as well. Thanks for joining me in this episode. Hey, it's good to be back, man. So John, we had a lot of really good feedback from the first episode that we ran, a lot of people interacting on social media. And one of the first things that I noticed was there was a comment on Facebook. We had some good fun with it, but somebody said, hey, I was, I was working with a young man in the shop you know, you guys are talking about Morningwood. Uh, what's up with that? We kind of had a good chuckle. It, it was a good exchange, but I love your response. Uh, so I wonder if you would just share, what did you respond to that gentleman on Facebook? Yeah. You know, so originally I brought it up just, if you're, if you're a guy who's just trying to figure out, are my testosterone levels not in good ranges? A, a simple objective check is, you know, do you have erections, especially in the morning? Right. Um, so if you can't afford testing or whatever, your insurance doesn't cover it. But then the other reason it's worth talking about, as I said on social, is who would you rather talk about stuff like this? Would you rather send your sons to uh, their biology teacher in high school who doesn't even believe in boys and girls, um, <laughs> right. has a pride flag hanging on the wall, 
Or would you rather send them to TikTok or their friends who are going to go to TikTok? Or would you rather have them talk to godly men who are in good, fruitful marriages? Um, you know, or listen to guys like you and I who can, because my ideal world is, you know, the fathers do this for their sons. Right. You, you know, stuff like this should not surprise your kids. Shouldn't catch them off guard. Yeah. And I think a big part of it, John, is, and I was just thinking about Proverbs, some of the conversations that fathers and mothers, but especially fathers have with their sons, Proverbs 5, telling his son to delight in the wife of his youth and be intoxicated in her love and her breast. So I think part of it too is like encouraging young men as Christian fathers and encouraging the fathers, I guess, to, to have conversations with the young men where they're saying, hey, you know, aim your sexuality at marriage and fruitfulness in these things. And along the way, it seems like that's, there's going to be a need for some pretty frank discussions and uh, yeah, better than the, uh, the biology teacher. I'm not even sure they qualify for that, but uh, <laughs> that's what we got in the public school system today. So John, I want to jump into a second question, uh, which was one I saw on Twitter. This was from a gentleman who was asking about the Andrew Huberman podcast. And he was specifically asking, uh, I've heard Huberman and Peter Atia. Uh, guys who I've said, you know, they have a lot of good content. But one of the things that they've typically recommended is watching cholesterol. And in particular, I know Peter Atiyah said for increasing people's longevity um, at a certain age, it might have been 30, that he recommends that people are on statins. Um, so the, the the listener was asking, hey, you know, there's even now among people we may trust on a lot of issues, there's still confusion about cholesterol. So this gentleman was asking, how should he think about his cholesterol. Yeah. So I think I might have mentioned it last episode. If I didn't, Chris Masterjohn has mm. a number of great articles and probably some of his nutrition podcast episodes do nothing but talk about cholesterol. Um, so he has some great, great information. Um, he, he or another guy involved in like the Weston A. Price paleo keto world have also done some good number crunching um, showing that low cholesterol, if you control for the right factors, does not equal lo more longevity. Um, I might have mentioned this in the last one. It's just like, uh, you know, with meat eating, if you control for amino acid intake, lower meat diets don't confer longevity benefits. They only do if you're meat eating wrong. Uh, you know, so when it comes to cholesterol, it's a precursor to the sex hormone families. It's intimately involved in immune system function. Uh, I, I think this is right how Chris Masterjohn once described it. But cholesterol is, um, you know, how it functions in some parts of the body is like the ambulance. Mm. It's the ambulance your body releases to repair something that's been damaged. And you don't shoot the ambulance. <laughs> and, and the ambulance is telling you there's a problem. Yeah. And so statins, et cetera, are a way to shoot the ambulance rather than dealing with, this, with the causes of inflammation and other stuff, which is why your body's circulating so much cholesterol. Uh, you know, so I'd say go read Master John's article um, where he goes over HDL, LDL, how they circulate in the body, all that fun stuff. It'll give you a really different understanding 
of what cholesterol numbers mean. And instead of merely trying to suppress your cholesterol numbers, start making dietary lifestyle and other changes that uh, make your body not need to send out so many ambulances. Yeah, it seems it's, it's interesting because I, I've seen a lot of the the material on cholesterol that people, a lot of times, you know, I remember as a kid, they told me my, I was like 18, they told me my cholesterol was high, you need to be on a statin. And I had asked them, I said, well, should I address diet? And they're like, nah, that doesn't make a difference. Don't even, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you just want to prescribe me a drug. So I, I, I think my, my general feel, this is sort of a principled position, I guess, but I, I look at our bodies and I think, okay, I think that God designed them in a way that we shouldn't have to be on massive amounts of prescription drugs in order to maintain some level of health. And it seems like a building block would be, hey, let's start with nutrition. Let's start with some of those things that we can control. And uh, we'll see what happens from, from that point. You agree, disagree? What are your thoughts there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, um, it's kind of like with raw milk. You know, mm. everybody, everybody thinks if you r- drink raw milk, you're going to die. <laughs> and my first thought was pasteurization is less than a hundred years old. Um, you know, yeah. up until even the 1960s, large portions of the populace in America were drinking raw milk. So I'm just like, how did any of us make it this far? Like, how did our grandparents and great, <laughs> if you have to have these things to be healthy, to, to enjoy some, you know, semi-average level of health, then, then how did the world work before the, you know, basically the last hundred years? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. I think that's something that I learned from originally reading Joel Salatin, but like be leery of something that's less than a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. At least look at the historical data, be willing to question that. So like you know, grocery stores, they haven't actually been around all that long. So let's, let's at least think through it. And, you know, that whole conversation of health and where our food comes comes from, et cetera. Uh, John, it kind of leads to the next thing that I want to talk to you about today, which is supplementation. I guess, first off, what do you have in mind by supplementation? What is it? And then should, should the average healthy, normal person be supplementing? And if so, how? So you have your diet. Your diet gives you minerals, you know, macros, uh, vitamins, and other stuff. There is a growing body of research that shows that large portions of the world, and especially the Western world, so countries like America, are undergoing a paradox where they are simultaneously stuffed and they're starved. Mm. They are overweight, but undernourished. And so supplementation is figuring out, and then obviously too, because there's such a prevalence now of genetic disorders in people in Western countries, which would be a whole nother podcast to talk about that. So you have this prevalence of genetic disorders that can drive up your need for certain nutrients. Um, So supplementation is all about figuring what you're not getting enough of in your diet and then using foods or supplements to bridge the gap. So you can, you know, achieve better overall health. Uh, a, a great simple example of this is just go have your vitamin D levels checked. Mm. And you'd be amazed at how many people in America have chronically low vitamin D levels. Um, you know, during Rona, 
one of the earliest studies on Rona uh, back in 2020 showed that your likelihood of dying from coronavirus was like 30 times or something ridiculous higher if wow. you had low vitamin D levels, mm. which when you're talking about, you know, half the nation, especially for six months of the year running chronically low vitamin D levels, uh, you know, so, so this is what we're talking about is, you know, food, we've never had more food as Western people. We've never ate more food, but our food has never been less nourishing. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I'm curious, John, like, do you typically recommend people getting blood tests? Um, I know it was something that I looked into where it's like a lot of that stuff, if you don't go through insurance, you can just go to a diagnostic place and a couple hundred bucks, you can get a pretty good idea, pretty full panel. Um, what, what's your recommendation there? Yeah. I mean, if you can afford it, there's testing and Chris Masterjohn has a bunch of free resources or really low cost ones on yeah, figuring out you know what kind of nutrient deficiencies you might have, and then you know what what foods and other things should you consider for addressing them. Um, but but testing is great if you can afford it, um, or if you can get your insurance to cover it. So because you know it's kind of like when I tell people you should get a soil test, and they're like, "Well, my great great grandfather never tested his soil." I'm like your great great grandfather was a lot smarter than you. <laughs> That's right. Like he knew things and understood things intuitively that have been passed down for generations that we don't anymore. So why, you know, if you have the money, why not spend the money and do that? Um, you know, but you can also generally figure out pretty easily based on your lifestyle, your overall diet and other stuff. You can also pretty quickly crunch some numbers and realize where you might have some nutritional gaps. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I'm curious, like, are you into multivitamins? Um, I know there's different ways to get those. Some people are um, doing a, a mix of, you know, the nose to tail eating. Uh, our friend Liver King is eating raw <laughs> testicles. Um, <laughs> if that's your thing, I don't know, John. But uh, yeah, like a multivitamin, do you typically uh, take that stuff? Yeah, you know, so my views on supplementation is first, um, food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our ancestors, especially for conception and having children, they understood there were certain foods that would lead to greater likelihood of having children and would produce healthier children. Um, and, and this is just amazing. Like all over the world, um, they, they knew, you know, they, these were often considered sacred foods culturally that would be reserved for men and women who were going to have children. What was the, I was going to ask, um, Rachel asked Leah in the Old Testament, was it mandrakes? Yeah, well, mandrakes, I think were known, I'd have to go back and look if they're like a way to, yeah, I, it's been a while since I looked at that story. But yeah, you know, cultures have always had um, foods they knew bolstered and boosted fertility. Which is kind of interesting, John, because the the first myth that it kind of explodes is that everybody was dumb before 50 years ago. <laughs> um, I, I was even reading a, yeah, a study on like sexuality, kind of on feminism. And they were talking about, they were like, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't really know before 1950 that 
women had like a strong sex drive. And I was like, oh, please. (laughs) Really? It took till 1950. I'm pretty sure people knew before that. Uh, But yeah, it is kind of that idea that I agree. You want to start with your food and your nutrition and you want to kind of build from there. Now, there's some other things that can deplete people. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but sex is one of those that may require supplementation or at least an awareness of, you know, what that does nutritionally. So talk to me just a little bit about that. Yeah. So in terms of supplementation, if we're looking at specifically male health, um, especially Mm. male sexual health, hormone health, there's a smaller number of really key nutrients that men want to focus on and that a lot of men have suboptimal dietary intakes Mm. or levels of. Um, And this is one reason you don't want to do multivitamins, just to tie that off. Um, Mm. A lot of nutrients are antagonistic to one another. And when you take a multivitamin, your body has to excrete or get rid of stuff you don't actually need. And to make multivitamins affordable, they're often using the lowest quality, cheapest form of every single thing in the multivitamin. Um, and, and you can basically make your own multivitamins by eating some egg yolks and eating, uh, you know, some beef liver, beef heart, chicken liver, chicken heart. I knew my egg slonking was going to come into this show, John. I just knew it. Uh, uh, there's maybe the best multivitamin on planet Earth, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, um, so for instance, um, every time you enjoy the marriage bed as a man, you use, I, I think it's like somewhere between three and 15 milligrams of zinc. So if you have a good marriage where you enjoy the marriage bed a lot, and your and your diet is already thin on zinc. Um, you're going to, uh, you know, I, I've seen this in a few guys now where I understand like after a few years of marriage, they begin to have some sex drive issues or performance issues. And now I'm beginning to wonder, like, man, I wonder if, you know, their zinc, their selenium, and other things, um. They just plumb ran out. They don't have fuel for the fire anymore. Yeah, it's interesting too, because uh, when we were talking about that, I was looking that up. I think we might've mentioned it last episode, but where does selenium come from? So this says particularly high in organ meats, in red meat. So maybe Liver King was onto something. In <laughs> fact, maybe our ancestors were onto something. That was a prized portion, right? To, in fact, it's interesting because I was thinking... I was talking to my wife about this, like her great grandmother, when they would, you know, they would butcher a cow. Like, like now we think, oh man, that would be so weird to eat the liver. And they were like, what? I mean, they were eating the tongue. They were eating every part of that cow. Yeah. And there's actually something to that. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of vitamins and minerals in it. Yeah. Weston A. Price used to have a graphic to get the same amount of nutrition in a single serving of liver. You'd have to eat 30 pounds of apples. And to get the same amount of nutrition as in a single serving of liver, I think you have to eat six to 10 pounds of ground beef. What? That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's not, you know, so, so organs were one of those historical sacred foods. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the movie Dances with Wolves, they kill a bison and the first part they eat is the liver. 
Um, and they present it to, is that like, what was that guy, Kevin Costner or somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so organs are especially rich, zinc, selenium, CoQ10, um, vitamin K2 is another one of these um, things that I think the research shows a lot of Americans, especially men, are chronic, chronically running deficient on. Um, and that's partly because, you know, we eat defatted. Uh, I might have, I think I didn't say this last episode, but the one way I've always thought about the way we eat when it comes to meat is the parts of the animal we eat are the parts our ancestors in times of plenty threw away. Yep. And the parts we threw away were the parts our ancestors always prized eating. Yeah, they prized them. Well, I, yeah, and I remember reading that about the Inuit people, right? Where they would take, if they had like a caribou, like the, the, the tenderloins that are just, you know, almost zero fat, they would take those and feed them to the dogs because of the lack of fat portion. Yep. And I think they were particularly aware of it because you find out pretty quickly, if you just have lean meat in those environments really cold, you'll starve to death. Yeah. And you probably heard the stories because I know you cover a lot of guys doing crazy things where there's the group of explorers who got lost trying to go mm -hmm. around Canada. And when the Northern people found them, they made them eat fish eyes. Interesting. Uh, because, you know, you're, why do you go blind when eating lean meat? The lack of fat means you deplete the fat-soluble vitamins in your body. And your body needs vitamin A and other stuff to be able to see. So these guys literally went blind because of a vitamin deficiency from eating, you know, lean meat. Um, and the, the organs in your body, you know, it's just like, like, why do we eat the animal organs that are analogous to our own organs? Because they're going to be high in the same type of things. So, you know, they gave them these, they'd pull the eyes out of the fish and have them eat all these fish eyes. And in a couple of days, their sight returned. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I was thinking of uh, Alfred Lansing um, in Endurance with Shackleton. Same deal. They were eating like seal blubber hooch, which was like a porridge, cold, uncooked porridge. But it kept them alive. It kept them healthy. Nobody died through this, you know, extremely perilous journey. But it's also really interesting. Um, we talked to a lot of people, read a lot about the... Uh, plant-based and specifically like veganism. And one of the things that I was reading about it was the amount of supplementation that you have to have to uh, keep your body from basically shutting down and starving is pretty astronomical. So then you start looking at it and it's like, okay, well, again, it's one of those fundamental questions of if I have to, I could, I could eat that diet and I look like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> except worse than when he was on drugs. Maybe, I don't know. Um, that would be problematic. Whereas I look at this and I think, well, just from a nutritional standpoint, obviously organs are going to be on the top of that list. There's some other things though, too. And I want to ask you about them. Is there any truth? Is there any truth to liver king eating bull testicles? Is there any reason why a person would do that? Yeah. Again, every organ of an animal almost is incredibly nutritious and contains all types of things that are good for you, which is why, as you pointed out, our ancestors, there was almost no part of the animal they did not eat. And the few parts they did not eat, they turned into other stuff. 
you know, right. so they wouldn't eat an animal's bladder because it's a waste disposal thing. And that's where we got our first football. <laughs> you know, it's like they would turn this stuff into other usable stuff. It's, it's such a gift from God. There's a super cool infographic that shows all the things that are made out of a cow. Just like, you know, th- there's a thousand things you can make out of a cow. Clothing and leather and um, flask, just so many cool things. And you, you make, um, you can make glue out of a cow. And, you know, you can make fertilizer from the leftover bones after you make stock. Uh, but, but the organs especially were prized because, again, like um, eating a few servings of organs is the same as eating whole animals in, in terms of nutrition. So is there a particular way you like to get your liver? Um, I know there's a lot of supplement companies now. We've typically just when we order our, uh, our beef, you know, from Salt and Strings, I talked to Quinn. I said, hey, want the organs, get it frozen, cut it up. Um, we just eat that. But uh, any particular way you would recommend uh, getting a hold of the organs? Yeah. So obviously, if you're buying a quarter of a cow from a local farmer, um, the organ, you should get a quarter of the organs. And yep. you just need to make sure the farmer, the butcher knows you want your organs. One thing one of the farmers who supplies our buying club does is they make a ground beef blend mm. that is ground beef, ground heart, and ground liver all together. And so if liver by itself kind of, you know, um, doesn't sit well with you, uh, my wife, who's just a total queen, she takes, uh, we'll get raw liver, you know, from the buying club. She'll thaw it, run it through a food processor to puree it, and then put dollops on a tray and refreeze them. And nice. then she just pops straight up dollops of raw liver that way. Well, it was funny because I was talking to Lexi, Brian's wife about this. And I'm like trying to find all these ways to eat liver and, you know, syrup and all this. And I was like, Lexi, do you eat liver? And she's like, of course I eat liver. I was like, how do you do it? And she's like, I just swallow it. She's like, don't be a baby about it. I was like, it's okay. We shared a house with them at County Before Country and her and yeah. Jess, I believe, talked about that. They're like, we take liver the same way, like all these wussy guys. And they're just like, ah, you know, throwing back liver kickers. Even when I got into uh, slonking eggs, I was like, I don't know, you know, maybe I should do it. And Lexi was like, yeah, I do that all the time, like a couple <laughs> eggs a day. Yeah, who doesn't do that? And I was like, man, that's, uh, you know, the, the base ladies, you got to love it. Yeah. And, it, you know, one thing for guys um, as you're trying to learn to enjoy liver again, uh, mm. chicken livers are usually a bit more palatable than beef liver just because the animal's younger. So it doesn't have as strong a flavor. Um, oh, interesting. L- yeah. Lamb liver can be the same way. Um, so don't just limit yourself to beef liver, but then also beef heart and chicken hearts mm. are fabulous for supporting male testosterone and that whole related area because they have a lot of CoQ10. They have selenium, as we've talked about. Um, they have a lot of fat soluble vitamins in them. So, uh, you know, so we've been working on as a family being more disciplined to eat more organs. Um, and then another great way to get organs. So sausage, sausage, historically, um, all sorts of sausages were made with organs included. Because when you get some meat, 
some fat, some organs, some salt, some sweetener, some spices altogether, nobody really notices the organs anymore. Um, so Braunschweiger, liverwurst, all of that kind of stuff. Um, historically, it was just a great way to get more organs in your diet. I've also, uh, we've had good luck even just grinding it up in small portions into hamburger. Yeah. Um, especially if you're going to make something like chili, uh, it's really not going to, you're not going to notice anyway. So it's a good way to get that. The other thing I tried recently was this, uh, I think they're like spice powders, but it's called pluck. Um, we actually got some of that from Brian and Lexi for Christmas. And that's been pretty interesting. It's like a, it's got organs in it, I guess. Um, but tastes good. Yeah. Um, and, but it was funny because, you know, we were, the kids were using it and they're putting on their food and they're like, oh, this is really good. What is this? And we're like, oh, I'll tell you in like two weeks <laughs> after you have had a lot of it and you enjoy it. But uh, yeah, that's been pretty interesting. Uh, John, I want to ask you about vitamin K1 and K2. Uh, what are those and why do they matter? Okay, so most people are familiar with vitamin A and mm -hmm. vitamin D. Um, vitamin K is one of the most overlooked of the major vitamins. Um, so Chris Masterjohn, again, has done some groundbreaking research and writing on vitamin K. Um, and especially in terms of bone health, dental health, um, immune health, and other things, vitamins A, D, and K work synergistically together. And this is why um, if you have a diet that is overly high, um, high in like vitamin A or overly high in vitamin D, if, if they don't stay in kind of some general ratios with each other, they cause problems, mm. um, including on the deficiency side. And so this is one way you just realize how smart our ancestors were. What was the most common way to eat liver? For a very long time. And what, you know, you'd have liver with what? Onions. Liver with onions and bacon. Interesting. Because what is por properly raised pork is really, really high in what vitamin? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. D. Interesting. Uh, properly raised pork where the pork, you know, pigs actually see sunlight. Their fat um, is just amazingly high in vitamin D. What is liver? insanely high in. I don't know. Bad taste. A, <laughs> vitamin A. Interesting. Okay. And then both liver and bacon have some vitamin K. Uh, so, so you see like a lot of our ancestors meal planning um, was their intuitive understanding of how things made them feel and what kind of food combinations helped them to be healthy. It's it's really interesting because, you know, just to, you, you wonder, first of all, how they knew that. But I think the other thing is, it's like, what happened in the last hundred years that that body of knowledge got lost? Because again, I mean, it, I go back to my wife's great grandmother. I mean, she lived to 102. She was like, oh no, you, you got to grow your own food and chickens. <laughs> and she was doing all this. And the, the lady pounded garlic. She <laughs> ate garlic raw all the time. And we we're like, grandma's crazy. <laughs> you know, she lives to like 102 years old and she was fit as a fiddle, you know? So it's like, well, clearly they knew something. Yeah. They, well, they knew a lot of things. And again, we, we, we'll end up having 12 episodes at this rate, but they're, you know, like Fred Provenza has a book called Nourished hmm. that explored 
Um, he, ex- you know, he's an animal nutrition expert. Uh, I got to have lunch with him uh, during the Acres conference, probably like five, six years ago. We had such a great lunch together uh, because, you know, he's pointing out how animals, uh, you know, take goats or something. Um, you know, goats eat a lot of plants that we know are highly toxic and and the goats are so well in tune with when they eat something understanding how that's impacting their body that they will naturally balance what plants they eat so that when they eat a toxic plant they go and eat a detoxifier of the same plant in the landscape really and, and and then Provenza talks about what happens when you interrupt the natural feeding cycles of the goats or other animals. And then he applies this to kind of how humans lost some of this innate connection between what they eat and how they feel. You know, Because oh, if you ask an average person, they think there's very little relation, uh, relationship between what they eat and how they feel. But then go back and look at Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. You know, he he kept a journal and he was meticulous about studying how what he ate affected him emotionally and mentally and physically. Really? You know, what reformed person who loves Jonathan Edwards would advocate such a thing? Uh, but yet you have Edwards doing this because Edwards, you know, Edwards was considered at the time he went into pastoral ministry one of the most promising scientists in American history. Really? Interesting. I, I, I don't know if you've read about um, his spider, his spider analogy in his sermon that, that actually has a um, pr- precedent. He did research on spiders in New England. And he, he has this amazing essay where he talks about um, how you know, the seasonality of spiders and God's providential hand and bringing them and then chasing them away. It's, it's wild, you know, so this, you know, Edwards and others understood and they still lived at a time where people could actually feel and tell the link between dietary choices, spiritual, emotional, physical health. And we, we don't anymore. It's something that needs reclaimed and rediscovered. But as you've talked about in your show, when some things are lost, it's really hard to get them back. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. You heard that right, 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increasing your longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for about nine weeks now. I'm working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts per week, and I've increased my deadlift and squat by over 100 pounds, and that's just nine weeks. My bench press has increased by almost 50 pounds. I've never had weightlifting coaching, but with custom-tailored workouts and constant feedback from Matt after my workouts, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a very short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 285 pounds, my squat is over 275 pounds, and my bench press is over 220 pounds. 
Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years, God willing, that you have on earth? Well, sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. So visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen to get paired with a coach today and start your weightlifting program. You can also check the link in the show notes. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. That's really fascinating. So the book was by Fred Provenza and it was titled Nourishment. So I'll have to check that out. That sounds really exciting. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting, we were mentioning Jonathan Edwards. I was also thinking of a, a later contemporary, but uh, in early American history, at least, uh, with Stonewall Jackson. And he was the same way. I had like a chronic condition, but he would meticulously write down like what he ate, how it made him feel, if it caused stomach problems, et cetera. And it was really, really interesting what he ended up with diet-wise. But something else about these guys' lives that's interesting is Jonathan Edwards was still in a world where he was an academic, but he was very much exposed to a lot of manly activities. So one of the things in between our shows you sent me was uh, that testosterone increases if you're chopping firewood. So naturally, we all know that lumberjacks are more manly. (laughs) And uh, there might actually be something to that. So I guess if you would just start to unpack, why why are the activities that we choose whether they're manly or not, or they, they, they're doing something. But why is that important? It's important for what we're talking about because research shows the sundry activities you use with your extra time mm-hmm. will impact your hormone health in particular. Mm. And some activities you know, will suppress testosterone and other activities will increase testosterone. And that's why when I came across that study, it cracked me up because basically splitting firewood is the highest activity way to boost testosterone. Uh, It was like almost a 50% increase to circulating testosterone levels um, for guys who split firewood. I need to start splitting my own wood again and get a wood stove. I know. It's it's crazy. So like resiliency and high testosterone. and a buff physique, all in the same, you know, all in the same thing. And, you know, that study reminded me of something I read in Wendell Berry years ago, where Wendell Berry pointed out that one of the travesties of the modern world is things God wove together for our good Mm. are now completely ripped asunder, you know? So, uh, you know, our exer- we, didn't, we didn't have to go to gyms to exercise 100 years ago because everybody split firewood and everybody did physical things. I shouldn't say everybody, but a majority of the population lived lives that included physically physical things that built them up rather than working a job that tears you down. And then after working the job that tears you down, you have to go take some of the money you earned at the job and the remainder of your time to try and put yourself back together. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I think for guys today, especially with, you know, um, a lot of if you're writing, if you're working in a cubicle, if you're sitting at a desk a lot, um, you really need these manly activities. Now, it's interesting, too. I, I want to say this, that so much in Reformed Christendom that I've experienced, and one of the things we've addressed on the show is pietism. And it's this kind of notion that the body doesn't matter, or even people who say that it does are like, Eric, look, you're trying to advocate that men should do these manly physical things with their bodies. You're trying to advocate 
things like hunting and firearms training and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Come on, Eric. I like to hang out at coffee shops and drink a lot of soy, and that's not going to impact me. And I, I, I think just realistically, and in the old world, a common sense view would be like, no, actually this stuff matters. So I'm curious. I know you guys, you guys do jujitsu, right? Or is it judo? We do judo. Okay. The real so thing. that's been something you, you do with your, <laughs> with your boys. Um, why is that important to manliness? Well, again, activities that challenge you as a man um, boost your overall health. So, you know, so again, in terms of testosterone, stamp collecting and sampling the newest coffee shop flavor, um, you know, the coffee of the month from wherever with your skinny jean wearing also low <laughs> testosterone friends is, isn't helping you. No. Um, whereas, you know, jujitsu, judo, wrestling, um, competitive sports. Those, all of those show clear benefits to men's mental health, um, to men's um, intellectual output, like that kind of stimulation helps men just be more productive in their work in other areas. It insulates them against depression. And, you know, one of the clearest links in men for depression and suicide is low testosterone. So Mm. it's no surprise that like manly activities, boost testosterone and this boost in testosterone you get from choosing truly manly activities is like a domino that then cascades through other areas of your life. Yeah, I think it's a huge point. The other thing it's tied to uh, is our next point, John, which is stress reduction. So one of the things I've found as a man, like if you, you know, you have a stressful day, everybody has stress in their life, you're raising families, you're doing hard work to build the kingdom. If you can get in an hour or 45 minutes of barbell training or judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something like that, it might be splitting firewood for an hour. I've just noticed that it makes you feel better. It helps reduce stress. But talk a little bit about cortisol and stress and why it's so important that we think through, for hormone health, we think through stress and the reduction of it. Yeah, so if you're chronically buggered out Mm. um, and... You know, when we talk about stress, there's a lot of ways you can create needless stress in your life. So we were talking about before the show, like smartphones. Mm. Um, my smartphone has no noisy notifications on it. Um, it has no ping or whatever. Um, you know, cause that you don't realize it, but that, that adds stress to your world, which increases cortisol and other stress hormones and stress hormones suppress testosterone and other beneficial hormones in your body. Your body gears up for stress. Um, Stress hormones interfere with proper digestion, which is why if you've ever ate a meal in a hurry, maybe after Mm -hmm. having a fight or having having a bad day at work, and you're like, oh man, like now my stomach hurts even worse for having eaten. You know, because stress hormones have these cascading effects through the body. So each of us has um, different stressors and you have stressors you can control and you have ones you can't, um, at least not short term, you can't. And so especially the ones we can control, we really want to mitigate and reduce anything that's causing needless stress, needless distraction 
in our lives so that we're not stoking the fires of cortisol and other things that then are going to, you know, sabotage our efforts to both be good dads, but be healthy guys. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, I think, because a lot of it comes down to like a little bit in certain doses, stress is a good thing and can be healthy. You think about going to work out, you stress your muscles, but then you rest. I think one of the problems is a hyper-stimulated society, smartphones, as you mentioned, you really get into chronic stress and chronic fatigue so that there really isn't a time to rest. But one of the things that we've tried to do and encourage is, you know, you get home, uh, there's a basket, put the cell phones away, look each other in the face, have a conversation, kind of have space in your life where you can defrag, um, be still. A, a lot of the stuff, Psalm 46, you know, be still. We don't even know what that means anymore. Um, so trying to find spaces one of the other things that's interesting too, in terms of how you can cultivate a restfulness is it's maybe often lo- overlooked by Christians, but just some practice of the Christian Sabbath mm-hmm. that you're having a day where you're worshiping, you're spending time looking people in the face, um, you're eating meals together. Um, the Lord ordered it for us. So I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that would be one of the important ways to, uh, de-stress and build rest into your life. Yes. Well, and it's one reason why some churches, the way they structure the Sabbath is a marathon. (laughs) And it's really not healthy. Um, Right. And so I've always been a very big fan of the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath was made to benefit us on a number of different levels. And, And we should structure it that way especially for our wives who often um, feel the marathon of Sundays. I was thinking as we were talking about, you know, needless stress, um, Twitter. I don't know why almost any, <laughs> any human being would be on that godforsaken platform. Uh, be, because it's like, I just go on Twitter, you know, I try only go on there a couple times a week at most. Um, and I may delete my Twitter account. And I'm I'm just like, it's so stressful because it's just constant dopamine, constant, you know, like I, I'm on there for three minutes and there's already 147 new tweets in my feed. And so, you know, the, the way media is now delivered in the modern age, you know, it, it used to be like my grandpa would sit down with the newspaper and he would sit down and read long articles for 30 minutes or so in the evening. And now you got people who are getting hit by 1 million notifications on Twitter and this and that and other. Um, it's one reason like on my own Facebook usage, I think I had some people comment that when I use Facebook, I tend to write longer things less frequently because I want my audience to get something that's better for them mm, in terms yeah. of the overall, you know, Better in just every way. And so another way you can radically reduce stress is really dial back and restrict smartphone social media usage. Not saying you need to get rid of it at all, um, though for some people it might be necessary and beneficial. Uh, Another major way to reduce stress is to get outside and especially get outside barefoot on some nice unsprayed grass. It is, there's so many studies on 
just how much spending time outdoors downregulates stress in your body. Why barefoot? What, what's, the, what's the benefit of it? Oh, man. I don't know if we have time to get into all of this. Um, it, it stimulates muscles and other stuff in your feet that are clearly beneficial hmm. and that don't get worked enough because of wearing modern shoes, which by nature um, make your feet muscles quit working. It, it mm. transfers, you know, there's all, just like in your hand, there's tons of little muscles and bones. Well, when we wear modern hard-soled shoes, all of those bones and muscles get immobilized and they don't work anymore. But, you know, then there's also, if, if you buy into, and I think there's good research for, there's just health benefits to being barefoot in contact with the ground and grounding yourself. Because of all the electronic stuff we're exposed to. So usually twice a day, three times a day. And again, like Chris Masterjohn, I think Rob Wolf, um, all of these guys do this. Um, And these are high level research egghead type guys. We're just like, there's just very clear health benefits to a couple times a day, going outside, being in the sunlight, being in direct connection with the earth. Um, and, and it's a relatively easy thing to do. It's like if you're at a job, instead of taking your break around the water cooler, I'm sure, clo- you know, most business places have like a campus. Go outside and sit under a tree, you know? Yeah, like do, do something outside. Like th- you'll be amazed at how much more refreshed you will be after a day of work if you take your lunch and you take your breaks outdoors um, in a quieter, more relaxed, less artificial light environment than if you take them at the water cooler or scrolling your phone or catching up on office gossip or whatever. Yes. It's fascinating, John, because it's another one that, um, you know, I remember like growing up, we grew up in a small town and the old people, and then my parents picked this up, but our neighbors in the evenings as the sun was still up, but it was kind of getting lower in the sky. They would always say we would have dinner and they would always take an evening walk. Yep. And uh, we'd walk by the horses and you'd feed the horses and you'd walk down by the river and throw a few stones in. But, but it's funny because I, I was listening to a podcast episode on Barbell Logic. I think it was yesterday. And the guy, one of their trainers was talking about, there was a study that was released and it said if you walk five miles a day, so it's like 10,000 steps or something, I think, for people who regularly walk five miles a day, there, it's like some technical term, but basically like you, it adds eight years to your life. I was like, what? (laughs) These people knew what they were doing. Just like go for a walk, get out in creation, uh, you know, feed a horse. And um, like, it does amazing things for your, your health, your sanity, all those things, a huge stress reducer. But again, just interesting. Like these are really simple things that anybody could do. Just take a walk, get outside. Yeah. And, you know, so when Jess and I were early in our marriage, because, you know, the the biggest thing you'll hear from guys as well, but I need to spend time with my wife and I need to disciple my family. So Jessica has memories early in our marriage. I printed off a copy of the book of Isaiah and we would go walking in the park by the seminary in Louisville. Yeah. And we would walk a couple miles a day. And as we are walking, 
I would read, I, I'd bring along a couple pages of Isaiah and we would work through the book of Isaiah together for at least part of the time. You know, a lot of it is, you, you, you know, it's like, why do I do judo with my kids? I wanted my kids to have self-defense skills that I was never given as a child. And obviously, I'm also looking out for their physical health and other things through that. Um, and then why do I do it? Well, because, uh, you know, I go to judo and like, there's just all these parents watching. And I'm like, and they're sitting there on their phones the entire hour and a half session. You know, and I'm just like, I want to redeem the time because the days are evil. Right. And so what better thing for me to do than do, because now it's not, it's not my kids doing something and me passively watching. It's I'm doing something with my kids. I'm trying to join back together something that was artificially broke asunder. Yeah. I love that concept of trying to find things that uh, bring the family together. A lot of sports are the same way. Like you do travel league sports and it's like it's actually dividing the family so trying to find things that you can do together hiking hunting that's one reason that we kind of got into that we could do it together um it's a great memory to share uh john the other thing i want to ask you about is specifically related to the home and endocrine disruptors so i know you're going to advocate that we should spray as much for breeze as humanly possible <laughs> inside our home but in all in all seriousness, why should people take this seriously? I mean, I, the first time that I read about this, I was like, no, there can't be endocrine disruptors and fragrances and body washes and sprays and cleaners, but there's something to this. So, so explain that to me. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty simple. You know, the, the things your body runs on, you know, hormones, vitamins, minerals, Synthetic substances can mimic those, you know, because there's only so many chemical structures available in nature. Um, so, you know, so this, again, another one of the things that's like so cool as a Christian, where you begin to look at like the scaffolding that creation runs on in terms mm. of chemistry. And yeah, there's only so many scaffolds that you can actually build off of. There's only so many blueprints, really. Um, and that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because when you make synthetic versions that are similar enough, they can begin to screw with the natural God created ones in all sorts of deleterious ways. And so our modern 3M DuPont patented homes are just absolutely overran by these synthetic chemicals. That we, we have, you know, just if I piled up all the research, it would overflow my house. It shows that like these chemicals have all sorts of nasty impacts on our health, especially our hormone health. And, just, you know, as a, a quick boot and to make Michael Foster happy, um, <laughs> there's a bunch of natural things that do the same thing. So take lavender, for instance. Um, lavender is incredibly estrogenic um, to where you can give yourself man boobs by using um, too much lavender stuff. So what is it the people are putting in like soaps or what? Yeah. Cause you know, good, even for more crunchy people, they'll use lavender for everything. Lavender oh, yeah. tea and lavender soap and lavender deodorant. 
Um, so I want to make sure I hit both. There are natural things that you can really jack up your hormone health with just as much as um, modern synthetic chemicals. So if you're looking at a home and you're saying, okay, like, where do you start? Curious where you guys started. I think the, it can it almost be overwhelming. Like, cause you start, look, it's like you look at food and you're like, why does everything have seed oil in it? <laughs> um, and so it can be daunting, but like in the home, you're thinking about cleaners and stuff. Where, where did you guys start? How did you approach that? Well, the first thing was to realize is you can save a bucket load of money while making your home healthier by making your own cleaners. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, you can buy natural soap, uh, a jar of vinegar, some baking soda, and then an essential or oil, like orange essential oil. Mm-hmm. And, and that will be enough to clean a home for three to six months. <laughs> Like you, you could clean almost everything with four or five ingredients and then you're saving uh, a ridiculous amount of money over buying all of these synthetic scented cleaners. Um, you know, for laundry, we get, uh, I think it's like a 40 pound bag of country save laundry detergent um, that, you know, it's so cheap that way. And then we get a free five gallon, you know, but like we buy stuff in the five gallon size. Cause then you also get a bucket to use, you know, for whatever you need to use it for on the back end. And it's so much cheaper that way. T- toothpaste. There's tons of recipes online to make your own toothpaste because toothpaste, I'm amazed at how expensive everything's just so expensive right now. And so there's a bunch of stuff we started to make ourselves, especially when it was low learning curve and high ROI, return on investment. And, you know, and then we also just began to cut out a lot of needless things that people think they need, but like aftershave. First of all, don't shave is my recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, you'll save a lot of money that way. You'll just have to That's chase. That's right. I never girls. have to buy razors. There's yeah. blood. Uh, you know, so things like aftershave and perfume, you know, why do you need all these things? You know, it, it wasn't until 60 years ago to 80 years ago that they started to convince, you know, so think about wedding rings. Do you know the history of wedding rings? Not really, No. Oh, dude, this, this, is, this is crazy. So the De Beers company. Diamond believe, company, right? I believe it was them. Basically, they bought up all of these diamond mines in Africa. But now they had all these diamonds. And it's, it, this also happened with a lot of other products during World War II. So World War II is a very interesting study in the first wave of corporations using new techniques to get people hooked on their products, like like smoking. How did we get to 80% of Americans smoking in like the 60s and 70s? Yeah. Well, it's because during the war, tobacco companies gave men free cigarettes, basically. Uh, wedding rings, De Beers controlled all of these diamond mines, but they had no market. And so, again, this was like right at the intersection of modern marketing, modern psychology, and other stuff. 
And so they invested a fair bit of money targeting men returning from World War II and also targeting women to get the men to buy the women diamond rings. So, Interesting. So, so, so something that if my son wanted to marry some girl out there, most families would lose their mind if my son did not get her a diamond ring. That's been going on for less than 80 years. Wow. And, and yet it is a, a sacred cow culturally now that, well, you have to have a diamond to get married. Well, of course, like the, you, you, we, we see things, uh, you know, when, when the Bible says all flesh is like grass, the you know, flower withers, the grass, you know, word of the Lord stands forever. I've always been humbled to realize um, just what a product of 30 years of time my views on so many issues are. And so, so many products we buy in our houses, scented candles, you know, those little aromatherapy cards you hang in your car that are just like toxic as all get out. You know, you're wasting so much money and you're harming you and your family's health at the same time doing things that nobody did until 10 seconds ago that now everybody thinks is not just normal, but required. Yeah. And it's amazing too, John, with like uh, mass media, how quick those things can change where I was even thinking about like 2020, the things, the crazy things that were introduced to our world um, where people now just think, Oh yeah, we've always done that. Yeah. You go outside, you just wear a mask. And I'm like, (laughs) in our case, you just never wore one and you still never wear one. But there are people where it's like, well, no, that's just the way it's always been. And, and as you said, the the way that cultural memory works um, is, it, it's a strange thing. I was even thinking about like products. I worked in the firearm industry uh, for 10 years. And it's like our, our sole job was to convince people that they need something that they probably don't. Like realistically, <laughs> like, do you need a new version of everything the next year? Probably not. But, you know, it's, you know, Wendell Berry's written about this, but just the way that consumer culture has become, not that it's shaped culture, it's become everything about our culture. You always, everything that you are, your identity is, is about purchasing something. And even as you're talking about that, like I don't wear perfume or cologne, I guess would be I the hope main you don't version. Wear perfume. <laughs> it shows you how much I know about them because I, I don't even know which, uh, which label is correct. But yeah, like the cologne, I watch like the Axe body spray stuff and it's like, oh my goodness, what? Why? Just take a shower. Come on. Well, you yeah. know, but, but I think for a lot of young people, especially, it's like, that's just seen as, as what you do. The, the other one I would tie it to is like Gillette um, in the, the convincing people in the early 20th century um, about just about just shaving habits. Um, everybody needs to be shaving. Well, of course, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get everybody on their razors and they're related to the Patriots. So, you know, it can't be good. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah Gillette know, so, Stadium. Yeah, so a big thing in your house is just realizing how much unnecessary stuff you are buying. Yeah. That's actually bad for your family's health. Um, EWG, Environmental Working Group, they have a resource called the Skin Deep Database mm. where they go, where you can put in almost any product and it will tell you like, it will give you a summary of a research on the type of health risks these products ingredients are known to have. 
it, it's it's just wild when you begin to see just like the amount of garbage we have filled our homes with really to no benefit to us you, you know so a big way we made our home better is we just went you know we're just like well why why we're even buying these things in the first place what value do they actually add to our life and the things we actually do need we realize man you know we're a young family just starting out had two kids in the first 3 years of marriage i want jessica to just be able to stay home with the kids i'm like man i'm like you know if you stay home and you do just a handful of productive things like infant potty train the kids make cleaners cook our food from scratch ingredients i'm like that's like 15,000 bucks a year you know it it adds up pretty quickly um and then you can afford to keep your wife at home cuz you're not buying all this needless garbage that's not good for you or her or your kids anyway well it's it's really interesting so we were talking about that i went to the skin deep website and i looked up gillette just because <laughs> let's just say Gillette's not going to be sponsoring my podcast anytime soon. However, <laughs> they have a lot of items here that are like on the, cause it rates it one to 10, 10 being the worst. Yeah. It's a lot of fives and sixes on here. They're uh, yeah. Crazy. You'd never would have thought it, oh, it's all shaving cream. I told you if you're a man, grow your beard out, John, and then you don't have to worry about this. Yeah, I'm 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 not there yet on the beard, but I'll let you I'll, I'll let you all rib me for it. I'll I'll take not having a beard, but yes. Well, I'm sure you can find products that are uh, safe and healthy for the for the skin on that on that site too. That's really helpful. Uh, well, well, John, we'll include that uh, as a link in the show notes. Uh, as you predicted, sir, we did not make it through the entirety of this episode. I want to close with one question. So these are some of the questions that were sent in and people were asking. And uh, I know this one will be, should be pretty quick and easy for you. But uh, first question, should people be doing TRT thoughts? Somebody sent that one in. Whoa. And you call that quick and easy. Quick and easy, John. Quick and easy. Uh, man, did you have a guy on all about TRT? Uh, we sort of talked about it. Look, here's the deal. Like nobody... I feel like, especially in the Christian space, it, it's hard for people to want to answer that uh, directly. I think that um, we've even talked about it pastorally. We were joking with one guy in our congregation and he was like, what have you put under church discipline if I did steroids? And I was <laughs> like, hmm, I yeah. don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, but it, but it's an interesting one. I think TRT, I, I, I think people are curious about this because so many people um, it's, it's being thrust upon people. Um, there's clearly a testosterone problem, but that seems to be the thing that, uh, people are, you know, asking like, well, my doctor said I should do this. Should I do it? Yeah. So short answer, it depends. Mm -hmm. Medium answer. Um, you know, we live in a fallen world and some people sometimes through their own choices, sometimes through their parents' choices. Uh, sometimes for genetic reasons or whatever, really do benefit from um, interventions like these that we now have. You know, so th this like my view on antibiotics. We've never used antibiotics for our kids yet, but if one of my kids needed antibiotics, I would not feel guilty using antibiotics. 
Um, you know, so I'm I'm thankful for, uh, you know, if I get ran over by a truck and you offer me essential oils, I'm gonna <laughs> beat you. You know, once I'm well enough to beat you up again. Um, you know, no, like I need an osteopathic doctor. I need some high level painkillers, and I'm yes. probably gonna need some antibiotics. Yes. Um, you know, but the problem is in our modern culture, um, TRT and so many other pro- their products, it's kind of like what you're talking about. This is no longer medicine. This, this is a consumer culture that has gobbled up every single service and aspect of the American economy. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, like th- this is really true of like how most doctors treat their patients. You see a doctor um, and immediately their goal is either to give you a pill or give you a procedure. And that's the consumerization of medicine. How many doctors will talk with you about your sleep, about your exercise, about your diet? Um, how many are going to run blood panels to see, you know, so there's one study I sent you before the show that showed like in low testosterone guys, um, supplementing uh, selenium, improved testosterone levels to normal, I believe, for over half of them. So most most guys may not need TRT. They just need some selenium in their diet. You know, a lot of dudes don't need TRT they need blackout curtains and to become more disciplined about how they're sleeping, how they're exercising. Um, and so th- there are individuals where TRT is, um, you know, a real blessing and mercy. But for a lot of folks, TRT is another way they cover up their lack of discipline, um, their lack of self-control. And their desire to live kind of a lazy, wanton life and then fix it through pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, you can listen to Huberman, you can listen to a lot of people who've been on TRT. They basically tell you it's like it's having an advantage for people who have something genetic, hormonally, potentially wrong with them. Um, but like if you don't do the work, if you don't watch your nutrition and sleep and all those things, like it's really actually not going to help you. So even if those people are on it, you're still going to, I think, benefit from, you know, all, pretty much all the things that we've talked about in the last two episodes. Yep. And maybe there's going to now have to be a third. I don't know how much is left of the outline, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's at least uh, four points, five points on here. That's pretty good, John. Three or four points per hour. I mean, we're really giving people their money's worth. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate having you on the podcast for this one as well. We will uh, continue to ask people for listener feedback. If you're on social media, uh, be sure to let John or myself know. John is especially on Facebook, uh, but Twitter or Facebook for myself. Let us know the questions you have. We'll try to do our best to answer those in what hopefully, Lord willing, will be part three of the Boosting Your Testosterone with Mr. John Moody. John, thanks again for joining me. Man, as as always, Eric, uh, what a pleasure. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. <laughs>